the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Some friends of mine recently shared photographs of their son learning to swim. And the time span of the photographs was over a couple of weeks. Uh, The first photograph showed a four-year-old little boy with a look of absolute terror on his face. (laughs) The photographs in between showed a kind of blur of water splashing. But the final photograph was unmistakable. There was this incredibly proud head popping out of the water with a huge smile for the camera. The little boy had clearly learned to swim. Those pictures have stayed with me over the last few weeks. Uh, They remind me of my own learning to swim about this time of the year, many, many summers ago. Um, It made me think of the baptism of Charles today, in which we sacramentally plunge him into the depths and bring him out in newness of life. But this old fear of the water this fear of learning to swim, of wanting to do it but not wanting to do it, in some ways gives form to some of the feelings I've had this week with increasing dismay at our leaders, with escalating conflicts with North Korea and other parts of the world, and then with the violence in Virginia this weekend that in so many ways makes no sense and in frightening ways makes all the sense in the world. Those pictures reminded me not only of my own learning to swim, but reminded me of the deep fear of the water that many of us have and and that fear in a larger sense of going into the deep, whether the deep is literal or spiritual or some other aspect. The scriptures today and the prayers of the church don't give us precise answers for how we should deal with the mixture of fear, ignorance, and hatred that result in the kind of white supremacy and blind nationalism that we saw yesterday in Virginia. They don't answer specifically the questions in the world of nations. But the scriptures do speak to fear, They speak to fear and how God shows up in the midst of fear, no matter what our fears might be, and how God brings us to a deeper faith. I love that first reading, that story about Elijah. Elijah is scared. He's terrified. He's been God's chosen one. He's been the ultimate prophet. He's done his job. He's he's prophesied. He's spoken out. He's been one with God. They've been tight. But then he spoke too much. He criticized King Ahab. And Ahab's wife Jezebel got angry and basically put a contract out on Elijah's head. And so Elijah begins to get scared, and he begins to question, and he wonders, well, was I speaking for God? Was I God's chosen one? And so Elijah sort of retreats to a cave and hides out. Did you notice how God shows up for Elijah? 
not in military might or power, not in light and strength, not in earthquake, not in fire, not in any way that Elijah has always been taught to expect or look for God. Instead, God shows up in what our scriptures today call the sound of sheer silence. The older scriptures that many of us grew up with say that God showed up in a still, small voice. The newer version is even more literal, that sound of sheer silence. When is the last time you heard the sound of silence? I can count on my hand the number of places in the world where I've heard silence. It's been a while since I've listened for silence, much less heard it. What does it say that God shows up in silence? It might say something about my need to talk and express and name and quantify and qualify. When it comes to that sense of fearing the water... It's not only my friend's son who was afraid of the water, and not only me when I was little, but as people of faith, we join a long tradition of aquaphobia. Some theologians point out how in scriptures, people are often afraid of the water. People in ancient Israel were afraid of the water. They imagined sea monsters there in the water. Remember Jonah, who is brave enough to refuse the will of God, but when the storm comes up on the sea, he loses all heart. He's afraid. The fishermen and the tradespersons who traveled the seas, they were heroes in biblical times. And so we see that fear in Jesus' disciples as well. Notice they call it the Sea of Galilee. If you've ever been, it's not a sea, it's a big lake. It's not that big, it's not that deep. But it was terrifying to those who followed Jesus. In today's gospel, Jesus' miracle of feeding the thousands has just happened. Jesus is tired. He wants a break. He tells his disciples to get in the boat and let's cross the sea, the big lake of Galilee. And then Jesus goes up. He wants to go up the hill to pray. And the skies grow darker. It gets late. The boat drifts into deep water. The disciples are quite away from shore and the wind is against them. Suddenly they see Jesus walking on the water toward them. They think it's a ghost until he speaks. They're terrified. And Jesus says, take heart. It's me. Don't be afraid. Well, Peter is always the one to speak first. And he's a little skeptical probably. And he said, well, Lord, if it's you, then command me to come across the water to you. Jesus says, come. So Peter gets out of the boat and full of faith, he gives it his try and he steps onto the water. He's doing it, he's making it, it's working, it's a miracle. But then there's a wind. (laughs) He loses heart. The wind picks up, Peter gets scared and he begins to sink. Just when he's about to fall into the water, Jesus grabs him by the arm and sort of says to him, what happened? Why did you doubt? What a question. Why did he doubt? Any of us would have doubted probably. Why do we doubt? Because we're human. Because we don't always have Jesus by our side. Why do we doubt? It's a question we can certainly forgive Peter for not answering. I don't know how I would have answered it. I imagine it took a lot of faith for him to step out of that boat in the first place. Would, would you have done that? Would I have done that? I don't know. 
Peter takes that first step, maybe one of the biggest steps he's ever taken, until, until, until there's a wind. I was thinking about this as I was reading Facebook posts last night. A number of clergy friends, some Episcopalians, some Roman Catholics, some Presbyterians who are in the Virginia area, were in Charlottesville yesterday for the peaceful protest against white supremacy or any kind of supremacy. I wonder what that must have felt like to them, to to stand there quietly, silently, in the strength of their faith, but then to hear something that's happening on the other side of town or, or hear, hear the police or hear a helicopter, that would have been enough for me probably to sink and run. Who knows? Fear can take over, can't it? Fear of being alone, fear of being wrong, fear of wondering if God is really with us. That fear of wondering, have we made the right step? Are we going to look ridiculous in front of other people? That fear of deep water, whatever we might feel the deep water represents. We're in all kinds of deep water. As a country, we're certainly in deep water. Institutions, traditions, and hierarchies that used to give a sense of structure and order have crumbled or are simply no longer valued. And so the reaction for many people is fear. And whenever we're afraid and there's no reflection and no center, then it becomes a kind of self-centered fear. It's basic and primal and deep. We see this sort of fear in myopic leaders, in people who can't bring themselves to think of their neighbors or the common good. And we obviously see that sort of fear in movements that target uh, the other as enemy My friends with the child who's learning to swim are afraid, as most parents are and probably should be. But my friends have an interesting reaction to their fear of the world and fear of what might happen to their child. They don't go to church much, and they don't study or pray much about God. But instead, my friends retreat into this kind of fundamentalist Roman Catholicism for them that just takes a phrase or a word that they think they remember from years ago. And that becomes the religious-sounding authority for their lives. And so they hunker down into this angry, mean fundamentalism. They're afraid of everything. They're afraid of their neighbors, afraid of the schools, afraid of the media. No matter how you label it, that sort of fundamentalism is rooted in fear. Whether it's Buddhist fundamentalist, and there are Buddhist fundamentalists, just go to Sri Lanka, Myanmar, Thailand, or Hindu fundamentalist in India, or Pakistan, or Muslim fundamentalist, or Christian fundamentalist of various stripes, and we've all got them. There are fundamentalist Anglicans, fundamentalist Pentecostals, fundamentalist Roman Catholics, fundamentalist Mormons, Anytime we refuse faith and operate out of fear, we fall into that kind of fundamental place, and there is nothing that separates us from the terrorists or the crazies who get in a car and mow down people, whether we do it behind a keyboard or silently under our breath or physically. It's all the same thing. Faith is not so much the opposite of fear, but faith is certainly the opposite of fundamentalism. It takes faith in God 
to take hold of us and move us out of ourselves, out of our fears, out of our craziness in our heads, and to move toward where God might be calling us next, often in the deep places that are scary. We move forward in the deep water personally whenever God's calling us into some new direction and we're afraid. Maybe the work that we were always equipped to do has just vanished. Or maybe the the situation around where we work has changed and we no longer know our place or recognize what's, what's required. Maybe family has shifted out from under us and people who were family have now gotten divorced and remarried and and we're not quite sure how to think of them. We still love them and we want them close, but we don't know what to do with these complicated relationships. We're in deep water somehow. Deep waters are the stuff of new jobs and new responsibilities and new relationships, new ideas, new opinions, new perspectives, new callings to Christian discipleship. Today we baptize Charles with great joy and with great fun. And this is the beginning of a whole life of faith. Sometimes people coming from other other traditions are surprised that we don't require all sorts of classes for parents and godparents and on and on and on to, to somehow get everybody ready for this great baptism. That's because this is the beginning. The hard work goes the next 18, 20, 30, 40 years. And the hard work begins today for Charles to work out his faith, not as some authority tells him it should be, but as the inward authority of the Holy Spirit gently tells him and teaches him and leads him by the hand and allows him to navigate all the deep places and allows Charles and Janine to navigate with him and trust in God that he'll be okay come what may. Jesus calls Peter out of the deep and lifts him up from sinking, and he does the same thing with us whenever we simply say, help, whenever we look for him, whenever we reach out because he's already reaching for us. In that wonderful old novel by James Missioner, Chesapeake, Missioner compares ships to people. He writes, a ship like a human being moves best when it's slightly athwart the wind, when it has to keep its sails tight and attend its course. Ships like people do poorly when the wind is directly behind, pushing them sloppily on their way so that no care is required in steering or in the management of sails. The wind seems favorable for it blows in the direction one is heading, but actually it's destructive because it induces a relaxation and tension and skill. What is needed is a wind slightly opposed to the ship, For then tension can be maintained, and juices can flow, and ideas can germinate. For ships, like people, respond to challenge. If you've ever sailed or been on a boat, you know the truth of that passage, maybe more than some of us. But I think we can all get the sense. If we think back over our lives, though it's always hard when there's a challenge, there's a new level of faith. And so we don't hope for a challenge, but we're awake and ready for challenges. God meets us there, across the deep, in the midst of the deep. Even if we feel like we're sinking, God buoys us up. God lifts us up. God gives us strength. God renews us and holds us and takes us where we need to go. 
Today's gospel shows us how to use the wind to take us into the presence of God. How to use the wind to remember that Jesus and Peter helped walk on the water. How to use the wind to remember that Jesus never let Peter fall and won't let us fall. God doesn't show up in simplistic ways or easy answers, but God is always present if we notice, if we receive God's strength and support, if we will take the hand that's offered, especially if we're sinking. And so let us, renewed by the spirit of baptism, let us use the wind to receive the power of the Holy Spirit to keep us going, to keep us living, to keep us growing into the presence and power of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.